The music's been good. I'll try not to mess it up from this point. Where's Avery? Avery, one thing i got to clarify. We have a farmer in the room today. He's not a gardener. David, did you raise your hand? When he asked for gardeners, you're like, I ain't no gardener. I'm a farmer. He's keeping us all alive right there. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're ending the Sermon on the Mount this morning, and we're looking at the question, how's your foundation? The title of the message is, Check Your Foundation. Jesus has been teaching in chapters 5, 6, and 7 about the kingdom of God, what's required to enter the kingdom of God. And he's been talking to people who were convinced they were going to enter the kingdom of God and telling them the truth, and some of them were getting it, some of them were missing it. Some of them thought, I'm going to enter the kingdom of God because of my birthright. I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm part of the nation of Israel, and they thought that was enough. So check your foundation. What are you basing your faith on? We have storms here at the beach. Hurricane Hugo in 1989 did a lot of damage. I, I talked to a man a few years ago. He said, well, looking at your facility, it looks like y'all didn't have any damage from Hugo. Well, now I wasn't here in Hugo. I came after that. But Hugo put over six feet of water in this building, a foot of mud or sand, so, and a lot of damage, a lot of property loss. Now, after that, buildings have to be built a little different. They have to put pilings down. They've got to be a certain amount of feet above ground. We lost two buildings in Hugo, the first two dorms ever built. If you drive around campus now, you'll see dorms' names like Calhoun and Sullivan and St. Paul and Mark, Luke, John. Guess what the names of the first two dorms were here? Who knows? Dallas? Where's Dallas? Casey, what was the first two dorms' names? Dorms one and two. So we got a little more creative after that, but they, they totally collapsed. They look similar to the Marsh dorms now, Sullivan and St. Paul, but they were only one floor. Totally caved in. So we have done a better job. Even in this room, Hurricane Matthew put about four feet of water in this room where you're sitting. This stage was ruined, so we've gone back with a concrete stage. Did you know that? This isn't a wooden stage. This is a concrete stage. It's not going anywhere in the midst of a, fl a flood or a storm. The problem is we've learned to block the doors, but Hurricane Matthew put water through the windows. So you think about four feet of water, you wouldn't want to be sitting in here when that happens. So let's look at what Jesus says about checking your foundation. In fact, I'm going to read verse 24. I'm going to read the first word of verse 24 and then get some context. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore. Who knows what you do when you see the word therefore in Scripture? You look to find out what it's there for. Let's go back to, ch to chapter 7, verse 21. And this is where we left off last week, so I want to briefly bring us into, into context from where we are with chapter 7, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? and in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the first point is, it's more than words. It's not just what you profess with your mouth, it's what you live with your life. In fact, he said, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That sounds like the right answer, doesn't it? The word Lord meant supreme in authority. It was a word you could use of a, of a human if you said it one time, but when you said Lord, Lord, kurios, kurios, it's the Greek word. It means supreme in authority. It was, they're coming to Jesus acknowledging you're supreme in authority. And yet Jesus says some of them will say that, but they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. 
not everybody that says those words. What, what's the difference? Well, he goes on to say, but he who does the will of the Father, it will enter the kingdom of heaven. So the word proclaimed in the Sermon on the Mount has to bear fruit. And that's what he's going to give an illustration of in just a few minutes. But can you imagine any sadder words than to face God someday, thinking you had lived the right kind of life, thinking that you had said the right kind of things, and yet he looks at you and says, I don't have an intimate relationship with you. You've never trusted me as your Lord and Savior. You've simply done some religious motions. Depart from me. Spend eternity separated from me, you who practice lawlessness. So John 8, 31 further emphasizes, Jesus was saying to those who believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So it's more than a religious experience. It's more than a profession of faith. It's, it's a heart change where you not only hear the words, but you are practicing the words that you've heard. 1 John 2, verse 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So I don't want you to leave here in doubt today. You can know for sure that you have eternal life. So I want to remind you of what I said last week. A lot of you weren't here last week. But just the Roman road of salvation. We've all sinned. We all have to come to a place where we acknowledge we need a Savior. The people Jesus was speaking to didn't acknowledge that. Many of them thought, I'm okay on my own. I don't need a Savior. I'm really not a sinner because I'm part of the kingdom of God. And they weren't a part of the kingdom of God. They needed a Savior. So acknowledge your need. And then God offers a gift, Romans 6.23. Romans 3.23 is the way, or all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So what you earn from your sin is death, but there's good news. The rest of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you come to faith in Christ. You declare that he's Lord, but you do it not just with your words, but, but with your actions. You turn to Jesus, Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So what's the difference? The difference is the demons believe and tremble. The demons believe that Jesus is who he said he is, but they will not profess him as Lord. Now there's coming a day, Philippians 2 says, when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. So even the ones who refuse to acknowledge him as their Lord and Savior on earth will have to one day, maybe through clenched teeth, bend their knees and proclaim Jesus is Lord. So let's look at the illustration then. Jesus has preached these words, powerful words, but then he gives a great illustration. He says, therefore, verse 24, let's go back to the therefore. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. So Jesus has given contrasting parallels of two men. One builds his house on the rock. Let's talk about him first. Therefore, everyone who hears. So they're hearing the message. It's not just going in one ear and out the other, or maybe it was for some of them. But he says the ones that are blessed are the ones who act. And you're going to be compared to a wise man. So what does a wise man do? The wise man builds a house. He builds it on the rock. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. But he's checked his foundation. Sometimes you'll spend more time digging the foundation than you will building the house on top of it. It's hard work. It takes longer. You're not going to have your house completed as quickly as the one who builds on sand. But he builds his house on the rock. A good foundation takes time. Look at this picture of the Trans-America building. Everybody, anybody ever seen this in person? It's in San Francisco, built in 1972. It took about three years for them to build this building because San Francisco has what? Earthquakes. 
So this building was built to withstand that. Even in the 70s, it's, it's had a 7.1 magnitude earthquake hit it. The top spire moved more than a foot in each direction, and yet the building stayed. It didn't crack. It didn't fall down. It didn't, it didn't uh, suffer any damage to the building. So what, why am I showing you that picture? They took time, three years, to build this building, and a large part of that was to put in a substructure, a foundation, where that building could be torqued and twisted and move and not be destroyed. So the wise builder takes that amount of time because what? The rain's going to fall, the floods are going to come, and the wind's going to blow. The rain's going to fall. Jesus is speaking in Israel. There's parts of Israel that's desert. One of the things you'll notice in the desert are dry riverbeds. And for the most part, most months of the year, there's nothing in there but just dirt. But when it does rain, a torrential rain could come. And it falls off, comes down off those mountains and tributaries that leads to the Jordan River and uh, some of it leads to the Dead Sea. And if you're in the way of that, you're going to get swept away. So the Jews that he's speaking to knows exactly what he's talking about. If you build in the way of these torrents of rains and you don't have a foundation, your building is going to be destroyed because the floods are going to come, the wind's going to blow. Yet it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. And who's the rock? 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is even talking about that when you get a little later in Matthew chapter 16 when he asks the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus uses two words for rock. He refers to Peter as a stone. Blessed are you, Peter, stone, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Upon this rock, large bedrock, bigger rock, that profession of faith is what I'm going to build my kingdom on. And Jesus is saying, you got it right. Peter normally opened his mouth and said the wrong thing, didn't he? But he got it right. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one that's come, the one that was promised through hundreds of verses of the Old Testament. You're the fulfillment of the Messiah promise. And Jesus said, based on your faith, I'm going to build my church. So in the same way that the wise man built his, builds his house on the rock, Jesus has built his church on the rock. And who's the rock? The rock is Jesus. But the foolish builder does not act on them. So the foolish builder still hears. He doesn't act on it. But he builds a house. Look at the house the foolish builder's building. There's his house. Man, you got oceanfront property until the first storm comes along. Let me read the verses. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against this house and it fell and great was its fall. Go back to that house. The house may have looked the same for the one who built on the solid rock. So this guy has built a house that probably high tide, he might, probably okay. What happens when six feet of water comes? What happens when a tsunami hits? What happens when the rain falls and the floods come and the wind blows against this house? That house isn't going to be there anymore. Sand, building your house on the sand. I grew up in the 60s and 70s watching things like Gilligan's Island. Anybody ever watch Gilligan's Island? They would show something on Gilligan's Island, and, and those generations, they'd show it on Westerns, Gilligan's Island, other television shows. It was called Quicksand. Here's a picture of it. As a kid growing up, that's the captain in Gilligan back there looking on. He's in Quicksand. I thought it was everywhere. I'm 63 years old. I've never encountered Quicksand, so you're safe. But I grew up thinking quicksand was everywhere because it was all on TV. You don't see much quicksand anymore on TV. There's other things we deal with. 
But the, the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And the same rains come, the same floods come, the same wind blows, and his house falls, and great was its fall. Back to Israel. One of the things we do in Israel is travel through the Dead Sea region. There's a restaurant that we've eaten at a number of times for lunch. A few years ago when I was there, we took this big circle turn. The road straight goes right beside the Dead Sea. We took this big turn, and I asked my guide, what are we doing? He said, do you remember that restaurant that used to be over there? not there anymore why because the ground gave out from underneath it restaurant that had been there for years i'd eaten there a lot of people had eaten there i'm sure they thought they're going to go to work that day and serve tourists like they had done for years and years and years and the ground opened up and swallowed it why because it was built on sand it was just slab construction on sand it wasn't built on the rock and that takes effort so two guys contrasted the wise man's built on the rock so what are the storms that could come for the wise man? One's health. Health could be a storm. You may go to the doctor and in one doctor visit go from thinking everything's fine to now you've been given a year to live or, or less than that. Or maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a friend, like one we prayed for already this morning. Those are real storms. They hit both kinds of houses. Maybe your storm's not health-related. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you've lost your job. Or maybe during the COVID years you've lost income. And you look at your checkbook, and there's more months left over after your checkbook's empty. That's a storm. It could be relationships. It could be your marriage. It could be your children. It could be your friends. It could be that people that you thought were your friends turned out not to be your friends, and that's a storm. It could be that your marriage is in trouble, or maybe it's already broken. Or it could be your children have left home and aren't following the Lord. That's a storm. Let me ask you a question. Do storms hit everybody? I think I believed at one point in time that as long as you were doing what God told you to do, you'd never encounter storms. I've actually heard preachers say that. If you find yourself in the middle of a storm, it's because you're out of the will of God. And I go back to the issue with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Remember Jesus said, let's get in the boat, travel to the other side. What happened? Storm comes up. Were the disciples where Jesus wanted them to be? Yeah, it was his idea to get in the boat. I've often wondered that when they're bailing water and Jesus is asleep on the cushion. How many of them are thinking, whose idea was this? Who forgot to check the weather channel? Isn't there an app for that? Whose idea was it? It was Jesus. He said, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. Jesus wasn't afraid of the storm. Why? Because he controlled the storm. He got up and with one word said, hush, quiet, be still. So yes, hear me clearly. You could be right in the center of God's will and storms will hit the wise man and the fool. So storms come to everyone. And if you aren't in the middle of a storm now, there's probably one coming. One of the greatest storms you may face is doubting your salvation. I heard a preacher one time say, if you doubt your salvation, it's because you're not saved. The devil would never cause you to doubt your salvation. I disagree with that. Why would the devil want you to doubt your salvation? If you are saved, he can't rob you of your salvation. But if he can rob you of the joy of your salvation, then he's probably going to affect your Christian testimony. He's probably going to make your life miserable. So come back, as David said, in Psalm 51, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. So the foolish man builds on the, on the sand. Where did he get that idea from? When storms come for the foolish person, one thing they can do is ignore it. Yeah, I know a storm's coming. We'll, we'll hear people, there's a Category 4 hurricane coming. Well, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Or the, the man in Mount St. Helens that when the... Um, volcano was about to erupt 
He said, I'm not going anywhere. They never found him after the volcano erupted. Storm's coming. I'm going to ignore it. You could tell your wife. Your wife said, we need to get out of here. No, I don't think anything's going to be happening here. Storm's not going to affect us. Well, the couch is already floating, honey. Maybe it's time that we get in the car. Or maybe the boat that's coming down the road. Maybe we need to at least get on the roof because the house is about to come down. So you could ignore it. Or you could just rely on yourself. I'm able to bail water. Yeah, I see the floods coming, but I'm okay. That's why you come to recognize you need a Savior. You may manipulate other people to help when storms come. Or you may turn to religion. The word religion and word religious is used about ten times in Scripture, and most of the time God's condemning it. Why do some people put so much faith in religion and no faith in relationship? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's not religion. That's life. Religion is, is dead. It's death. Come and acknowledge your need of a Savior. Come and acknowledge His gift of eternal life and proclaim Him as Lord and live out the words that you've heard Him teach you. Well, let me close with the thought about the similarities of the two men. Jesus is contrasting the wise man who built on the rock with the foolish man who built on sand. Well, first, there's some similarities. They both heard the word. Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine and act on them, you're wise. If you hear these words and don't act on them, don't be, you're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. So you're going to be held responsible for what you've heard. Any teachers in the room? Ben, you ever had a student say, is this going to be on the test? You're teaching away. Is this going to be on the test? Any teachers ever heard that? It's all going to be on the test one day. So they both heard the word. And they both built houses. The foolish man built a house. The wise man built a house. What was the difference? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. They both faced the same storm. Maybe they were living close to each other and faced the exact same circumstances of a storm. The difference was the foundation. So the similarities are there. The differences are the foundation. The one who dug down. He didn't just find a rock and build on it. No, he dug down. These pilings that you see under the dorms, they drive these pilings. Any of the houses you've seen that's been built since Hugo have pilings under them. Some of them are telephone poles that have been driven into the ground. Some of them are concrete. But they're what attach to the bedrock because if you dig dig a hole out here today that's about three feet deep, guess what you're going to hit? Water. You don't have to go long. We're about two feet, two to five feet right now above sea level. And sometimes we are no feet above sea level when storms come. If you've ever been here for a full moon high tide or a new moon high tide, king tide, <laughs> we had a church here meeting one time that had a baptistry, and the streets flooded. A lady came in and said, I think they must have dumped their baptistry out. The streets are flooded. No, there wasn't that much water in the baptistry. This is coming out of the bigger baptistry of the ocean, <laughs> and it's salt water. So the differences are the foundation. Second difference is the action on what they've heard. They both heard the same thing. They just acted entirely differently. Jesus has breathed words of life. And the wise man has grabbed onto him and said, yes, I want that. The foolish man has said, that's not for me. And the results are not the same. The result of the wise man is his house is still stable because it was built on the rock. The, rock, the result of the foolish man is his house is gone. Yeah, he built it quicker. He built it cheaper. He built it with a lot less sweat of the brow and breaking of his back. But the house isn't there anymore. And great was its fall. Last two verses, the response. I love the response of these that have heard the message. So I'm going to ask you what your response is. 
Verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. <laughs> this was a long sermon. They stayed awake for the whole thing. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus has taught a lot from the Beatitudes and on forward. He's taught about the kingdom of heaven. He's taught about righteousness, that your righteousness has, sur- has to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees or you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness is not something that you just do as a performance to draw attention to yourself, but it's the authentic, real thing. And what you seek first is his kingdom and his righteousness. He's talked a lot about righteousness, and so they have heard him teach, and they are amazed. Their eyes are wide open, their mouths open. They're astonished because he was preaching as one having authority, not as their scribes. What's the difference? For a preacher to preach with authority, he needs to preach the Word of God, and it's anointed by God, it's appointed by God, and God speaks through the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, the Bible study teacher. When you're preaching your own opinion, don't expect God's anointing on that. So be careful. But let me close with just a few questions. How's your foundation? Do you know Him, or you just know about Him? Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor anyone who does not love his brother. What's John saying through 1 John? He's saying if you truly are a follower of Christ, it will make a difference in the way you live your life. If you claim to be a believer and yet your life has not changed, there's a problem with that. The Bible says that God disciplines those whom he loves. So do you know him or just know about him? Are you intentionally following him, which means every day you're spending time with God? You're part of group worship like this. You're part of a church. You're part of a small group, Bible study, Sunday school class. But you intentionally are spending time, even just yourself, with the Word of God every day, worshiping Him, reading His Word, and are you obeying His Word? That's where the truth is. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me.